Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, as part of the ICBF and Chagas Breeding Week, Joe Patton and Kevin Downing join us to identify the target areas to maximise genetic gain in your future milking herd. The, the traits are, are, are pretty clear, actually. I suppose the, the, the first thing we, we have to say is that ultimately, you know, it's ultimately the job of the cow is to generate revenue, so to put milk in the tank and valuable milk in the tank. So as we all know, the, the, the payment structure in Ireland um, overwhelmingly is now based on, on solids, um, on kilos of solids. So certainly we need cows that can produce high levels of uh, kilos of fat and, pro- and protein in particular. Um, but I suppose the trick in an Irish context is that uh, while while output is important like that, we also need to be able to have we need we need a type of animal that can do that on a, a high forage diet, so they can exploit the grazed grass that that we can um, we can have across across the country. So high forage um, high forage intake delivering high milk solids output, uh, and also obviously in order to make that happen, given the the seasonal nature of our, our grass supply fertility becomes very, very important um, in that regard. So the fertility, I suppose, allows us to calve the cows at the right time of the year. It also allows us to, to, to retain cows in the herd for longer so we can get extra herd maturity out of it, out of, out of, out of the cows. So the, the fertility is, is really crucial as well um, for, for high levels of, of milk output. And I suppose the other the other issues then that we, we would be looking at increasingly over time is really uh, feed efficiency. So, uh, uh, you know, a lower maintenance type animal, um, healthy, obviously, so good legs and feet, good cell count. And maybe more into the future, things like disease resistance and, and environmental efficiency will become uh, will certainly become more important. But certainly the big ticket items, I would say, you know, it's high milk, high milk solids output from a grass diet, uh, the ability to go back and calf um, and, and a sort of an easy care, healthy cow is really what we're after. I think it's an interesting point you make, Joe, in terms of the importance of fertility. And I think. If we look in the past, um, you know, the focus traditionally would have been on milk production. But really interestingly, if we reflect on the next generation herd and the work done there, you know, the high fertility in those animals and a high fertility subindex really drove high levels of milk production. Kevin, taking into account what we've heard from Joe, um, do you see the EBI and the use of the active bull list in terms of selecting our future genetics? Is it fitting the purpose of what we're looking for? Yeah, absolutely, Emma Louise. Um, I suppose if you look at the active bull list, um, you know, the, the typical um, average EBI of the animals on the list is coming in around 255 EBI. Um, and that's made up of um, the various traits, the sub-indices, the milk, fertility, calving, beef, maintenance, management and health. And um, within that list, there are um, bulls with different strengths, different weaknesses. And, and farmers can, you know, use that list to pick bulls from that list that's going to, you know, ident- you know correct problems within their own herd. And I suppose all the research work done um, by, by Chagas um, has shown that for every one euro increase in EBI, there's a two euro increase in extra profitability. And currently we're seeing rates of uh, EBI gain of just over 10 euro per year. And that equates to around 284 euro per lactation. So, you know, cows that we're milking today 
are, are far better than the cows we were milking 10 years ago. And, you know, the, the improvements that we're seeing both in terms of meat production, but also in fertility are clear to be seen. And obviously the bulls then picking that you can pick from the active bull list are contributing to those year on year gains. And again, those gains are, are, are cumulative and they're permanent. So yeah, again, using the active bull list is, is, is the key message that we'd like to get out to farmers when you're picking bulls. And, and Kevin, um, we'll stay with you in terms of we're very much now on the countdown to breeding and the bulk of calving on the majority of farms is, is over at this stage. Looking at uh, the dam and, and, and I guess the cow within the herd, um, we're at the stage now where we don't need to produce a heifer um, replacement from half of the herd or, you know, every cow in the herd. And, you know, farmers are being more selective in terms of the appropriate cow to use to generate heifers. Um, I guess, can you give us uh, some indications of what exactly we should be looking at to identify whether a cow is suitable or unsuitable to breed a replacement from? Yeah, so, yeah, you're, so you're dead right. And, and you know, with the... Uh, as as the number of farms now um, have, have reached maybe maximum capacity in relation to um, uh, expansion, there is an opportunity now for farmers to be more selective in the animals that they are breeding replacements from. And um, really, I suppose what farmers need to focus in on is is the higher EBI animals. So the cows that are uh, the top top 20, 30 percent of your herd, they're, the, they're typically the cows that you want to breed your next replacements from. Obviously, you want um, cows that are going to calve down early in the season. So you want February calving animals, ideally. So it's, but, but I suppose from the start of the breeding season, uh, you should be now looking at maybe introducing some beef into that as well, so that your lower EBI cows, they're the, they're the ones that you should be putting a beef straw into and not breeding a replacement from. So um, we have we have a, a, a DBI, which is similar to the EBI, except it's for beef um, AI. And farmers should use that index to try and select wolves um, that have you know, short gestation, easy calving, but also a good carcass merit. And they're the, they're the bulls that you should be using on your lower EBI cows. And um, you know, the, certainly the sire advice tool uh, which we have as well in the Herplus um, uh, website, will allow you to go in and select these cows that are lower EBI and put beef straws on those cows. So, yeah, so that's that's the message is to, to pick from your highest EBI animals. Outside of low EBI, is there any other scope for non-suitable? Like, you know, for example, a cow that has, say, a case of mastitis, does that rule her out, um, you know, maybe in terms of what um, Joe mentioned there in terms of uh, a lameness case, you know, is one lameness case or is it is it multiple um, offences that would rule a cow out? Yeah, I suppose um, it, it's probably not one individual uh, thing that would rule a cow in or out. Um, and if you're if you're looking at you know whether you breed animals or or, or not, again the EBI is is there to, to as a tool to allow you to pick animals to breed from. And I suppose if you want to consider well which animals should I be maybe culling from the herd, 
it, it's the case of mastitis, the case of lameness. They're the kind of traits that would be uh, used in identifying animals that you might you want to call out of the herd. Um, so again, we have a tool online. It's called the COW or Cow Zone Work. And that's a, a decision support tool to allow farmers to, to, uh, to, to make better culling decisions. And really what Cow is doing, it's, it's, um, it's identifying the expected profitability for the remainder of the cow's life. And if farmers use that to cull and use the EBI to breed, then I think their, their needs are met in those two. And to follow on then, Kevin, from the perspective of what you mentioned in terms of context, a lot of farmers are now at max capacity. So, you know, during the expansion phase, every single cow that went in calf was retained on farms by and large. And at this point now, you know, farmers are at the situation where they potentially have a lot of heifers um, every year, too many. And they're in the situation where they're selling those um, additional or excess heifers should there be situations on farms where farmers are looking at voluntary culling so you know you mentioned your lower ebi animals or you know you know we're, we're keeping our early calvers so our lower ebi our late calvers should farmers be considering voluntary culling in in the cow herd yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose it, it certainly depends where you are at in, in overall EBI terms as well. And, um, you know, herds that are, um, you know, very high in EBI, we'd be encouraging those herds to continue to breed as many replacements as possible and make those available um, to herds that are maybe lower EBI. And that's that's the quickest way you'll make genetic gain is that if the, if the top EBI herds are breeding the replacements, and the lower EBI herds are buying in those um, to, to, to improve their herd EBIs. That's that's the way they, they can best achieve that. But yeah, voluntary culling is, is um, certainly something that um, we should be doing more of. And, you know, because of our improved fertility now in the national herd, uh, farmers have more scope to do that. And, um, you know, again, back to the point, you know, the, the, the lower EBI animals, um, they're, they're the ones really that you should be looking at maybe calling out in the system. And and Joe, as as a consequence of calling or voluntary calling cows, you're potentially going to impact on herd maturity. Where is the balance between generating, um, you know, uh, high genetic merit heifers and introducing them into the herd and then, you know, I guess selectively and voluntary uh, removing uh, lower EBI or lower performing animals from the herd? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, Emily's, and it's coming up more and more in, in groups, actually. I suppose the way I would look at that is that, you know, in order to improve the, the herd maturity, it really is more, to me, is more about retention of good cows, good sort of toward fourth calving cows that are in good, that are of good quality. I think it would be somewhat of a mistake, in my view, to begin to try and artificially inflate your average herd maturity by retaining lower grade cows at a, no, at a much older age for the sake of it. Do you know what I'm saying? So holding on to maybe animals that might be slightly too high in cell count or ones that would be, you know, sort of give chronic lameness problems all for the sake of herd maturity. I think you have to make the culling decision first. And, and, and set good criteria around what type of cow you want. And then I think if, if the fertility sub-index comes true, uh, really 
the the big thing is that if 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 cows are staying in the herd longer, you know, through sort of toward and forward calvers, that type of that type of situation, that's where herd maturity comes from, rather than retention of cows that should be really that should be submitted for for that should be uh, called out essentially. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't think we should be trying to focus too much on one metric, which is average lactations. Um, per cow and try and artificially inflate that we should be looking at you know our for example maybe retention of first and second calvers and third calvers will be would be much more important than than holding on to, to to ones that should be that should be gone and i think you know you can see that in a lot of herds now actually that herd maturity has come through where there's a good chunk of sort of fourth fifth sixth calvers that are really the engine room, you know, they're sort of the engine room of the, of the herd essentially. And that comes from getting, you know, getting low empty rates, you know, in the younger part of the herd over time. And, and I think that's, that's an important, that's an important point. And a, a follow on from that, Joe, in terms of where is the balance with, um, you know, genetic gain in younger stock yeah. while maintaining you know, a relatively low replacement rate of under 20%. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's maybe the second part. Yeah, look, I think that we have to look at that on a, on a, on a, on a take a look at what, what the level of performance is on the older, you know, on the older cows. Like if you've, for example, you've got cows that are significantly ahead of herd average in terms of milk, milk solids output and milk comp- composition, low cell count, you know, for, you know, fifth and sixth calf cow, I suppose, I, if they're if they're performing very well and they're significantly above herd average, M. Louise, for those production metrics and they have good fertility, I think they've done their job and they should be allowed to sit, you know, sit within the herd. I think it's a different question then when we look at animals that might be significantly lower in terms of maybe milk solids content, you know, retaining those animals and maybe significantly lower in EBI and retaining those those animals in the herd uh, for the sake of for the sake of herd mature. I'd be probably more intent on, on on moving those on. So what I would be saying there is that if the animal is significantly ahead of herd average in terms of solids output, she she stays there and she does her job until you know until she drops off in terms of performance or maybe starts to cause you problems. And um, maybe if they're very low in EBI, in those cases you might breed them. You know you, you might breed them to. To, to an easy cabin beef straw or to a high a high beef index beef straw, uh, whereas your older cows maybe that are clearly that are clearly um, inferior in terms of their production potential, you're probably going to move them on a bit earlier than than, than the other ones if that if that makes sense. Yeah, I, and I think the you know the answer to that question is is a combination of what both yourself and Kevin have said in the past. You know these lower genetic merit animals are not being bred to dairy, so you're not bringing in replacements from them. And as well as that, through good fertility, you have the opportunity to voluntarily cull those lower performing animals out. Yeah, could just make just make a, a maybe an extra point on that. Maybe it's just that you know it's. It, Really, you know, and it, there's good work in New Zealand on this too to say that you know farmer opinion is a very important part of 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 you know of a cow's merit almost. You know, people individual farmers will know that their own trouble-free cows or their own quality cows. So I would be I would be just encouraging people before this breeding season starts is if you have your milk recording data, you know, use it now at this time of the year to to really go back and look and maybe identify. Uh, you know, through data rather than through just your own opinion, but just, you know, have a look at your milk recording data and see 
what cows have done well for you over the last couple of seasons. So if you do see ones that are particularly low in solids, for example, it might be a beef straw on them or maybe marked for voluntary culling. And I bet you, if, you know, for a lot of people, if they go in and really take a good look at their figures, there will be cows within every herd that will surprise people, the ones that would be written off as kind of relatively ordinary that could actually be the top performers. So the, really, the only way to really find out uh, to really get a real picture of what the herd is truly doing is to have a good look at the data before you sit down um, to just pick bulls at random. So I think that's the, that, that's an important point. Make your decision based on the information to hand and the milk recording is a key part of that. And, and, and like, as you said, you know, there's a huge amount of information available on all of the animals, uh, particularly with the use of milk recording. There's, there's, there's endless amounts of information available and ranking tools where you can see your top cows. I guess if, if we turn our attention then to the, the sire side of things and bull selection um, ahead of the breeding season, you know, people now are finalizing the, the bulls that they're going to use, um, you know, in kind of six weeks time um, in terms of selection. To you, Kevin, can you give us um, some guidance um, for the targets for key traits that we're looking at? I guess to start with the fertility sub-index, you know, what sort of a, a number are we looking at as a minimum or, you know, an optimum for um, the sires that we're going to use on our herd? Okay, so, look, yeah, before we actually just talk about targets, I suppose the first thing a herd needs to know is well, where are their strengths and weaknesses? And, you know, um, we have a scorecard available on, on the website and on the EBI report that actually highlights where, where a herd is strong or weak. So it depends on where you're coming from. And that's the first thing you need to know is where are you from a genetic point of view? I suppose the second thing then is that, you know, well, what is your breeding goal and what, what do you want to achieve? You know, do you need higher milk solids? Do you need higher fertility? Do you need a higher uh, health sub-index? So you need to have a breeding goal as well and define that breeding goal. And then also stick to that goal. You know, don't be chopping and changing it um, year in, year out. So try and stick to that goal for a number of years. And then once you have identified where you are, then that's when you go about picking bulls. And, and, and as I said already, um, it's, it's bulls on the active bull. This is where you need to be selecting from. And if you look at the, the average bull team there, it's coming in at around 255 euro. And, and the average, you know, fertility there is over 100. But if we're, if we're picking teams of bulls, and that's what we would encourage. So a typical, you know, 100 cow herd should be using at least, you know, eight or nine bulls in that bull team. And I suppose we are nationally seeing herds using bull teams, but they're not always using them equally. So that's the other point is that, you should be not, you know, weighing in too heavily on one particular bull. And uh, the figure we'd use is that no more than 15% of a mating to any one bull. So that's the second point is to use a, a larger team of bulls. And then, you know, on the traits themselves, you know, don't, don't have all the bulls, you know, the same. Have some bulls that are very strong in fertility and, and not so strong in milk. And then vice versa, really strong in milk. And they don't have to be as strong in fertility because within every herd, there's going to be cows that have, are, uh, you know, uh, some very good in fertility, some not so good. So again, the Sire Advice Programme, which I mentioned earlier, is the tool that will allocate those bulls that you select to the cows in your herd to correct any weaknesses. 
Um, so again, if you were to throw out figures, you know, bull team average over 255 for EBI, over 120 for um, fertility, and maybe over 80 euro for, for milk. Also, the other sub-indexes are important as well. And, you know, we mentioned, you know, health already there as being an important one as well. And, and you know, mastitis and lameness. And there's lots of really good bulls now in the, that have high figures in the sub-index. And again, have a team of bulls over five euro, maybe, and the, the health would be a, a target as well that you should go for. And, you know, you mentioned the, the figure of 80 euro as, um, you know, the, the target for, for milk. But um, as Joe has rightly highlighted, you know, fat and protein are, I guess, the, you know, what, what's paying uh, farmers at the moment. If we look specifically into the milk sub-index, um, a little bit of guidance for farmers. You know, sometimes, you know, farmers are saying, do I look at fat and protein kilos or fat and protein percentages what exactly is the is the recommendation within the milk sub-index yeah and again just back to it again every herd will have their own figure for milk pta so again you know that's the first step they need to find out where they are currently from a genetic point of view and um you know it's it's wherever they're uh, whatever scale they're on they need to be picking bulls if they want to improve the fat percentage or protein percentage they need to know where they are genetically and then pick bulls that are going to improve that trait so um some farmers want higher yielding cows some are happy with lower yielding cows with higher percentages so it, it depends on the system that you have and you pick bulls suitable for that system but Within the EBI, it, it can cover both systems. So, for example, if you go to the, we'll say the more part next generation herd, that's typically a, a lower input system, um, and a, a different herd then would be maybe the the lions um, state herd, which is a high input system, uh, very different um, uh, systems, as I said. But EBI is working in both, so. They're picking bulls in, in the lines of state that are, you know, have a different emphasis than maybe the more part next generation herd have. So there's bulls available on the list that'll suit all types of systems. So you just need to match those bulls to the type of system that you have. So then if we look at um, from a beef perspective, Kevin, and you mentioned earlier, you know, with your lower genetic mark cows, you can use the dairy beef index. For a scenario where you are uh, breeding a cow with uh, dairy AI and she produces a male calf, is there a scenario, say, for a farmer who has, um, you know, a maintenance sub-index of maybe 10 euro, so chasing that 550, 560 uh, uh, kilo animal, is that compatible with a male dairy calf that has value within a beef system? Yes. Um, yeah, no, it certainly is. Um, I, I suppose what we don't want is to go to extremes in any one in one direction. And, um, you know, that that is the challenge and the risk that if we go down too far, too heavily on maintenance, that we are reducing the value of our beef um, calf. And, and while, you know, maybe dairy farmers don't see, well, you know, that's not the enterprise I'm in. You know, they also have a responsibility and they, they have a need to get rid of that calf from um, and, and that calf will need to be reared by somebody. And so it is an important uh, trait to, to, 
you know, not neglect either that we need to be picking bulls if we are looking at, you know, a, a higher maintenance figure that you're also looking at the beef sub-index. And there are bulls available on the list again that are, are quite strong on maintenance, but, but also have a relatively good beef sub-index. So um, they kind of, they, they can go hand in hand as well. And we can breed animals that are, um, that are smaller in size, but are producing a good beef calf as well. To you, Joe, um, you know, based on our conversation about the sire advice, and as we say, it's something that's going that's happening on farm right now. Have you any other additional comments or guidance in terms of what farmers should be looking at when they're, you know, reviewing the active bull list and and potentially speaking with um, the sales representatives from the AI companies? Yeah, I suppose um, just maybe even to follow up on what, what Kevin mentioned about about systems there, I think. The one thing I would be sort of encouraging people is not to compromise on the fertility side at all. Um, that, that to me, that's the key one, Emily's at, at farm level. And I suppose, look, because you know the, the, the EBI system will work across systems, and I think sometimes we've done a bit of work lately. Um, we have a master's student working on it. There is, you know, about attitudes and perceptions about EBI for people that link it very much to system of production, that it's seen as a spring calving thing or a, a lower input index, but it really isn't. It, it works. And I think that's their key point that, and, you know, Kevin really made that strongly, but it does work across, you know, all systems. And just as a, as a further point on that, like, I know we have, we have the herd in, the Chagas herd in Wexford in, in Johnstown. Um, we have a spring calving system there and a winter calving system running side by side uh, and there's a difference of about 100 kilos of milk solids between the spring system and the winter system. Uh, but the genetics is identical across both groups. We don't deviate or we don't change our breeding policy really that much between uh, our higher input and our lower input system in terms of the fertility. We, we have to get fertility in both systems. So I think that's the key message is don't, don't be thinking that because maybe my, my, you know, that I'm on a different land type or maybe that I'm maybe not as tight or as compact in calving or maybe that I have a higher input that I should be maybe putting, you know, less emphasis on EBI. I think that's the key point. Once you have the decision made to push for EBI, that's, you know, you, you work out the details uh, after that. And fertility to me has to be consistently high across all um, all bull panels. And then we can make adjustments then on our, on our on our on our other objectives i suppose that would be the key point and maybe just one other thing that i think it's 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 worth mentioning too yeah when we look at the numbers and maybe kevin might have a, might have a better detail on the numbers than i do but it's still a bit disappointing when you look at um you know the data from the different co-ops there are still a lot of heifers being born a lot of dairy heifers being being born from stock bull genetics you know and i think this is a this is a weakness in the in herds overall so while we can put an awful lot of effort into picking the bulls off the active bull list um, to produce our heifers, you know, we have to ensure that that's the only source of uh, genetics that we're using uh, to breed our, our replacement stock, because there's not much point in spending a lot of time picking very detailed on the bulls and then ending up with half of our dairy heifer calves born from a, from a stock bull of very low reliability. So that would be a key point, I think. At far, that's a weakness at farm level that I would see. You know, while I think the bulls that are being used by and large are high EBI, we're still not generating enough of our total replacement heifers from that uh, genetic result. 
resource. There's still too many lower grades, lower grade dairy stock bulls, sire and uh, heifer calves. And that's one to be, that's really one to be tackled, I would say. I think, Joe, you make a very valid point is that, you know, if we look at the number of heifers that were born there in 20 or that calved in in 2020, 30% of those dairy replacements are being bred to stock bulls. And if we look at, you know, well, where are they in terms of EBI compared to bulls out of AI, you know, they're, uh, you know, about 80 euros behind in terms of EBI. So that's about 160 euro per lactation. So that's what, that's what we're missing out on by, by using um, um, too, too, too many low uh, EBI samples. And to go further down that thought process, um, I mean, you know, Joe, can you give us an idea of why this is happening? Like, you know, people talk about the practicalities of maybe the heifers on the out farm, um, you know, lack mm. of facilities. Is this the reason why this is happening or is there other factors at play? Yeah, well, I think there, 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 there's probably a combination of factors. The first thing I would say that, you know, that if if calving is is if calving is already spread out in the main in the dairy herd or the milking herd, I suppose, um, Emma Louise, there is inevitably going to be um, some fatigue will set in uh, with 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 farmers' um, use of AI. So, for for for. For, for, for herds that have a very spread out calving pattern, it's possible that maybe a, a dairy stock bull has been used, uh, you know, it's been used towards the second half of the breeding season, if you like. Uh, and if submission rate is low in the first three weeks, you know, there will be a higher proportion of cows will end up getting bred to that dairy stock bull. So I think the first thing is that from the milking cows perspective, if you get a high submission rate, that means a high percentage of cows in the, in the herd as a whole, submitted in the first three weeks and again maybe in the first in the first five to six weeks that if it's dairy AI only used on the on the um in the first few weeks and it's either it's beef AI after that or beef genetics used after that that takes out the that takes out the issue so really what we're saying there is, is that the first thing is there should be no dairy stock bull used on the milking herd at all that that would be the first point the second one and then maybe it is the one that where the where the issue arises is on the is on is on the replacement heifers and AI in the replacement heifers is, is possibly the issue. So look, what we would be saying there, and there's you know there are very good protocols for it, and maybe it would be it will be covered as part of of breeding week. The details on this, there are very good synchrony protocols that can be used um, to synchronize your heifers to calve or sorry to come on heat and manage the breeding of those uh, on an out block. So you can really manage the days essentially on what manage the days on when you're going to be using AI and the heifer. So I think, you know, we can, the details would have to be worked out individually in terms of how to do it, in terms of, you know, what program to put them on for synchrony, but certainly, you know, farms that have gone that route with the heifers are very happy that it has increased the number of AI born uh, calves as a whole. So, you know, and we do have some herds now that have gone to the point of maybe using two rounds of AI even on the heifers based on a, on a synchrony program. So certainly one round of uh, AI, dairy AI synchronous heat would be, the, would be the way to go. And I think that would make an awful difference. So the two key points there are no, no dairy stock bull at all with the milking herd. And certainly on the, on the, on the heifers, it's a synchronization protocol to get to get AI at least one round of AI into them and I suppose maybe one final point on that I know a lot of farms might think I don't want to synchronize my heifers because it's going to mean that I'm going to have an awful lot of heifers calving together and it's going to make be, be a problem next year in terms of 
you know, labor and in the parlor and that, that wouldn't be the experience of people. If anything, they'd say it's much easier to manage the calving of heifers because basically you, you train all your heifers together rather than having late calved heifers coming in in March and even into April, disrupting the, the milking as it's settled down. So synchronize them, put an AI straw into them. And I think that would make a big difference. And also, Joe, just to add to that, I mean, from a genetic gain point of view, that's the best way you'll make genetic gain is if you're if you're putting um, dairy AI into your heifers because they're your next best genetics and they're the ones you should really be focusing on. And I think that is reflected on, by and large, every EBI report that you look at. The heifers are, you know... 20 30 euro on average ahead of the cows in the herd and as you say it's it's to exploit those genetics that you have there and to maximize the potential of the future milking cows of the herd i think as well joe like the really interesting point there are so many management tools that people can use in terms of various synchronization programs in order to breed the heifers in a short space of time and that allows you to um, essentially AI them and maybe AI them twice um, if if and where necessary and also then you know the the bull or the stock bull that you're using where it's not a dairy um, type bull it removes that I guess um, urge that people have to retain um, a dairy heifer that calves down from the stock bull I think there has been some really interesting learnings from our conversation today and some new thoughts to add to, I guess, what we already know and what we're already aware of when it comes to breeding and genetics, um, you know, and selecting the very best animals um, to milk within herds. I think a focus must be on the fertility subindex and that will generate um, you know, the cow that will fit this type of system that you're looking at, regardless of what type of system you're operating. Um, and also it will give rise to improved performance in terms of milk production and, you know, what we like to see uh, performing well in terms of what we get paid for. Thank you to Kevin and Joe for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks a million, guys. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Joe Patton, and Kevin Downing for joining me on this week's show. To see and hear more from The Breeding Week, check out the webinars, short videos, and an interview on The Beef Edge with Catherine Egan. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.